Wine Monk Arizona Wine Podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett. Welcome to the Arizona Wine Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Burkett. This is a very special podcast, as most of mine are. The focus is going to be the 2015 Petit Sirah XM from the Southwest Wine Center. Extended maceration Petit Sirah that was on the skins for a little bit longer during the maceration process. Uh, I'm here with Elizabeth Cricker and Amy and Sean Nelson is your last name, right? I'm horrible with names. Okay. <laughs> we are talking uh, Petit Sirah XM as well as drinking a few other fun things. Uh, including an orange wine from Vermont. But the main focus is going to be Petite Sirah's varietal and cigar and wine pairing today. Sean is going to be guiding us through the cigar pairing because he is the wizard of that. Uh, Elizabeth is here for fun, and Amy is here because she is also here. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the nose because we were all dabbling in the nose about the, of this wine here for a little bit. It's got a wonderful round aroma. I mean, it just, I feel like I'm smelling a whole fruit, but it's not any one fruit that I'm smelling because there's um, raisins on the aroma, there's uh, a red fruit, maybe red plum on the aroma. I mean, there's all kinds of fruit, fig, prune, just all kinds of fruit on the aroma. I'm getting a little bit, you mentioned tobacco. Um, I'm getting that tobacco too. I got it too. I, I smelled it as dried leaves of some sort, but I think tobacco, which makes this a perfect wine to pair with cigars. Exactly. And I did, the first thing that got me was uh, a clean mustiness, not a yeast mustiness or an off mustiness, um, similar to in a cigar, particularly Davidoff, an Olor tobacco from the Dominican okay. Republic, or similar to a champagne yeast. Um, this is a clean, musty, what I, is what I would call as a non-wine professional. And the flavor and aroma that came to me was a dried black mission fig, or, as strange as this is going to sound, dried apricots. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Or, or dried plums or, mm-hmm. or dates. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just thinking that because it's been a while since I've had one. Huh. Okay, I thought that was funny. <laughs> I, can see, I can see, I can see, the taste gives me the memory of the finish of a date, particularly a medjool date mm. compared to a, like a regular Arizona date, even, even more so because I've had them since I've lived in Arizona now for quite a while. The Arizona, is it the Sphinx? Black dates yeah. from Phoenix. That's exactly what the smells and tastes like on the finish is when you eat one of those Arizona Phoenix Sphinx dates, the black dates, yeah. the aftertaste and the finish, this Petite Sroxanne was giving me the memory of that. It's also got a freshness, though, on the palate, just a real freshness, and that's where that, I keep coming back to red plum. I can just feel myself tasting a juicy red plum. I'm also reminded of mulberry, too, like fresh mulberries right off the tree. And there's a lot of mulberry trees in Jerome right now. And so sometimes I'll go to the post office and 
grab a couple of mulberries off one of the trees on my way, pick up the mail, have a little snack. It's full-bodied. It's got some decent tannins, too. Yeah, but it's not. They're not biting tannins. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not fill your mouth kind of tannins. Just enough to shape the wine. Yeah, and it's funny you mention that because I read something today, uh, doing some research on petite syrahs and aged petite syrahs and the different varieties of how folks go about that in the wine industry. The uh, the wine classic Clint Eastwood with five o'clock shadow tannins. Yeah. That take all the protein and saliva and enzymes out of your mouth and leave your mouth extremely dry and gritty. I had an expectation of that, and having never had this Petit Roxanne, that's not the case at all. I find this actually to be, on the tannins, I would say soft. Yeah. It's not gripping, it's not drying, it's a very well-balanced wine. It's more intense, for sure, than a lot of other Petit Roxanne I've had, and I think it is that, that extended maceration. I don't remember how much longer on the skins this wine was, I want to say that the regular one was 15 days, and this one was 30, and it does not say on the back. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a fact sheet for it, unfortunately. Ah. What will it say? We do have a fact sheet. Thanks to Sean. So, in a recuperated American oak barrel for 16 months, heavy oak tin and influence in this one can be found in the strong aromatics of fall spices, toasted nutmeg, allspice, hazelnut, vanilla, and creme brulee. Ooh. Notes of blackberry com compote and toasted pie crust emerge on the long-lasting finish. Pair with wild game, lean red meats, and your favorite cigar. I could definitely see... I'm not getting as much of those spice notes, but it could be that maybe... Go ahead. What? I was waiting for you guys to stand again. Um, I think maybe as this wine opens up, we'll get more of those spice notes, because I'm not getting much of those notes right now. It's not that it's closed, or, or a closed nose, so to speak, or a stuffy nose, uh, which surprised me that no one else has used that term to describe a wine that's not fully decanted <laughs> before, but, you know, it's really, someone's got to do it. It's very free, you know, because it's so new. Yeah. Not, it hasn't had a ton of that air exposure, so you still... We, did we get this in March or April at the event? It is a spectacular wine. It is. Yeah, the color. There's a, a deep, deep garnet ruby, deep ruby red, deep garnet purple. This is like the garnet that you would find in like an Anglo-Saxon hoard embedded in gold. But it's I not. Think. It's not like a, a garnet. Like if I look at it, it's not like a garnet wine. Yeah, you know, with, with older wine that's got yeah. a garnet color because it's just been sitting in the bottle forever. It's really a lot of purple, a lot of purple. Yeah, not a not a pink garnet like a claret. Yeah, but a. So Elizabeth has prepared for us some notes on Petite Syrah or Duraf, and I'm well, now I'm going to put her on the spot and, and make her share them with us <laughs> to talk a little bit about the history of this particular varietal. Well, it was really fun to read about. Petite Syrah. I keep calling it Petite Syrah, but the original name really is Duraf, and the variety was discovered in the 1860s in Isère, France. Not a place I'd ever heard of before. Um, I don't know that it's particularly known for wine. It's not like Loire or, um, you know, Rhone or Bordeaux. It's not one of the regions that you think of when you think of wine. 
Um, and it was shipped to the United States in 1884 by Charles MacGyver of Linda Vista Winery. And he inadvertently imported it under the name Petite Syrah. Hence the name Petite Syrah. Otherwise, it would still be called Duraf. <laughs> and uh, Petite Syrah, you may have seen spelled S-I-R-A-H, or you may have been spe seen spelled S-Y-R-A-H. Now, I had always heard that, that Petite Syrah had nothing to do with Syrah, when in actuality, Petite Syrah is the daughter of Syrah. Oh! Yeah, it's a cross between Petite Syrah and another grape called Polorsin, which few people have heard of. I suspect you have. I, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it in a, or, or tasted it. Mm-hmm. It's one of those grapes that's now more famous for its genetic category and heritage than in a bottle anywhere. Yeah. Well, sadly, Duraf virtually disappeared from France, but it thrived in California as Petite Syrah. And uh, fans of Petite Syrah even have a website called PSILoveYou.org. <laughs> so that is aerated. Okay. As uncouth as that sounds in the wine world, that this second sample that I poured was briefly aerated, aerated with a whisk just to get some air, to get some differentiation from it. It's definitely got more of that spicy notes that they're talking about, that toasted nutmeg, allspice, hazelnut sort of thing. The taste is significantly different now that it's been oxidized. Yeah, more cloves. That's that's what I was picking mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. I, I guess we could whisk our own, too. <laughs> that's a whisk we'll have to taste. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna try that if I may. I'm gonna say you can do that or this. Oh, I guess I'll be a little bit less cool and use the aerator. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, as I aerated in the mouth, there gets this really big uh, clove nutmeg character, but. One of the most amusing sounds I think ever is that sort of that <laughs> noise that aerator makes. Mm, you're right. The blackberry is definitely more pronounced when it's oxidized or aerated or whisked. Through the aerator, it's almost like I'm getting almost this incense note, which I think is definitely imparted by that uh, recuperate American oak. It's sort of a, a cedary frankincense character on the nose. After you poured it through the aerator, well, maybe I just hang out at church too much, being the wine monk and all. <laughs> well, he's grabbing something. What is it? Just checking a reference on tannins. I believe it's Elijah tannins. Ah. But let me uh, do some research while you're. Alright, let's another aerated one. Some book research. So there's also a particular reason why we're not jumping into the cigars right away. And if Shane, oh, Shane's doing book research, so I can't make him do that right now, because... You can. So you can why are we not jumping into those cigars and jumping outside right now with them, right off the bat with this one? Well, being in the northern half of Arizona, the current outdoor temperature is about 106 Fahrenheit and 5% humidity. So moving the cigars from a 66 Fahrenheit, 65% humidity humidor 
letting them sit similar to wine at room temperature in room temperature air that's about 77 degrees inside and 38 Fahrenheit in, indoors. The shock of taking the cigars outdoors from one extreme in the humidor to the temperature of 109 Fahrenheit or 106 Fahrenheit and 5% humidity could literally cause the cigar to come apart, the wrapper to unravel, and the taste to become extremely acrid or ashy and smoky or charred. So we're seeing if the temperature will cool off a little bit as we sample this wine to make the cigar smoking and pairing with the petite strikes sound a little more enjoyable. It's a good answer. It's a good answer. <laughs> there any more notes that you wanted to particularly share about uh well i thought this was kind of interesting um petite Syrah spread from california to washington arizona but it's also spread out of the country to mexico brazil chile i mean not places that you think of when you think of wine but these are the places that are growing petite Syrah very successfully but another in australia south africa another place that's gone really it amuses me israel really really because it's apparently very suitable to hot, dry climates. Well, that makes sense why it's here then. Exactly. It should do pretty well. In Mexico, well. yeah. <laughs> I, I did actually at one point in time have Baja California blend that had Petite Syrah. I think Cab. I think it was Petite Syrah Cab and Merlot? Or maybe it was Petite Syrah Cab and Syrah. I know there was Petite Syrah in it, and, and it was about half Petite Syrah. Uh, and it was pretty good. It was pretty tasty. Uh, I remember the label being more exciting than the wine, but it was also still a good wine. And if you've seen a lot of Mexican wine, uh, a lot of those labels really live up to that cultural milieu of lots of skulls and sugar skulls on the, on the artwork, which I think is really cool. If you're into that sort of artwork, which I kind of am now and again to let my inner uh, high school goth child out to play for a minute. Um, we never got much time in high school either out playing for obvious reasons because, you know, it might ruin my pale skin. <laughs> uh, I also did not sack Rome that much either when I was a child, so I did not live up to the other goth potential. Huh. Uh, I tried. Well, I think I would like a little bit more of our wonderful Petite Syrah. Did you want me to aerate that for you? Well, I think you already did in the decanter, didn't you? Well, I poured it in the decanter, but we can always aerate it more with the sure, aerator. Sure, go for it. Double aeration! <laughs> and the least I can also do is pour you a little bit more since I knocked half of the original glass out. True. <laughs> so how long was this aged? 16 months? 16 months. So, well, and I will say that I also feel, speaking of American oak, uh, that Petite Sorrel is one of the few varietals that I would say is better on American oak consistently than French oak. There are not many grapes I would say that about because I have a very much love-hate relationship with American oak. To the point where it used to be, it's like, oh, if I want American oak, I'm going to drink a bourbon. Uh, now I've opened myself up. Uh, opened my palate to new and interesting things. Um, I will say that Petite Syrah, Tempranillo, and Zin are the big three grapes that I think work really, really well when aged in American oak. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I don't feel that many other grapes do that well. I think that American oak tends to be a little bit too strong and too overbearing. Uh, but for big grapes that have a lot of character and are willing to push back against the oak like Petite Syrah, uh, it's a really great fit. So here's an interesting fact for the nerds out there scientifically. So there's an interesting study in proanthocyanins in red wines. It was the Annals of Biological Chemistry in 2011. Chromatography of red wine shows 50% of its antioxidant activity comes from electrodense tannins. Chemical neutralizes free radicals. However, in some people, how also cause allergic or digestive reactions. Procyanidin B2, vitamin B2 tannins, vary at the rate of 100 to 2,000 milligrams, essentially 100 milligrams or 2 grams per liter of red wine. At the University of California, Davis, who tested all the red wines for the last 47 years in California, for antioxidant tannins, the richest three were Cabernet Sauvignon, California, Petit Syrah, and Pinot Noir had the most according to the analysis. Hmm. Of note, oak is the largest in elagic acid, which is hydrolyzed, also in the process with whiskey, into whiskey tannins. Aging in barrels reduces the tannins to elagic acid, so the longer you age a wine or a whiskey, the more tannins you produce, but the longer they age, the more they're reduced as the barrel breathes. Makes sense, because oxygen acts as a reducing agent, naturally speaking. So what you get the, in, essentially what you get in Petite Syrah XM is procyanidin tannin, rich wine, high in antioxidants. So this will be good for the heart. Ah, so we're doing good things for our heart, sipping this wine. Indeed. <laughs> P.S. I love Healthy you. Hearts Club. <laughs> I, I could see this definitely with wild game like venison or elk. Easily. I don't see this really with like beef or, or anything of that sort. Too overbearing for pork. Mm -hmm. Wild boar you might get, get away with, but... You're right, with wild game. Speaking of venison of wild and boar. Wild so, the Merkin Vineyards Pizza Wagon actually has a pizza that has a wild boar sausage on it. Wow, yummy. This would be arguably a perfect pairing. <laughs> I'd have a raw or this particular Pizza Raw XM, although it's extremely difficult to find, would be a perfect complement to, I can't remember the name of the pizza offhand, but I have had it twice, and I believe it's garlic. Wild boar sausage, basil, and that's the calabrese pizza, is it? No. Is the which one is it? The singali. Oh yeah. Wild boar sausage, sweet one hundred peppers, mozzarella, charred spring onion, and chive, with a I don't remember what Dirk mentioned on his sourdough starter how long that was aged, but that was pretty phenomenal. Yeah. I think you mentioned that on your RNCA, your previous RNCA Malvasia podcast, didn't you? Yeah, we, we mentioned that a little bit, which uh, that podcast at this point in time has not been edited and pieced together, but it probably will be by the time this is put. Uh, so you're welcome to go uh, the archives, as it were. Almost a soft British 
all a l l all archives, not archives. Yeah, all, all archives. <laughs> the podcast catacombs. Mm. So why don't you tell us more about how you found this wine? Little story. So we have lived here for almost twelve years now in the Birdie Valley, and when the Southwest Wine Center opened, we had watched it evolve, and after kind of hopscotching around the Verde Valley vineyards that have popped up, and unfortunately some of them have gone down, and having been members of several different tasting rooms, we settled on what we thought was the highest quality for the most reasonable price, which was the Southwest Wine Center at the Yavapai Community College, Wonderful. right up off Black Hills Drive. And you so, can almost walk there from here if you, yeah. yeah. We're feeling very adventurous. We actually do walk up there all the time. <laughs> This spring release of 2018, we were shocked to find when we went to the members' event um, that they had a Petite Syrah XM, and Michael Pierce heavily recommended it for cigar smokers. And as a serious lifelong cigar smoker, I thought, well, I should go ahead and get some of this before it's gone. And if I'm not mistaken, there is no more as of this date. There, you were correct. I managed to taste this in the tasting room because Phil at the time was uh, there. And he's like, oh, I got this open. And I normally don't have this open. You should try it. Taste it. I loved it. But the problem was I had blown my budget. And I was like, okay, so I'm getting paid and next week. Can you hold on to a bottle for me? And he's like, ah, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's, an easy, that's an easy thing to do. Is to blow your wine budget quickly. Yeah, so I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll try next week, and if there's any left, I'll, I'll get a bottle, and they were gone. We were, we were lucky that they were there because they were packaging some of it for some of the members. There was a, it could be considered your surprise bottle of your pack. We did not get it, but we were able, we were able to give it, I think, a taste. They had one open, and. Um, Buy what was left, we bought which what, unfortunately what we was could. two bottles. Oh, we bought what we could. Yeah. Had I known at the time, I would have just plucked everyone's out of their member boxes <laughs> and, and insisted that Mr. Pierce allow me to buy a half case or a case or whatever was left. But hopefully they'll do this again. Yeah, I mean, clearly it worked well and was popular. It would be very, very silly of them not to do a popular wine again. I mean, if conditions allow it, I mean, if the grapes come in and the fruit is not of the best quality and there's broken skins and stuff, then maybe, so, uh, what? I was just seeing how much was left. Oh, yeah, we should probably pause on drinking this until we have the cigars ready, but it's not like we don't have other things we can't uh, try that are open. True. Like the orange wine from Vermont. So this was the main wine for the, uh, not Maine wine, because obviously Maine is a different state. Ha, ha. Uh, this was the first wine for the Vermont podcast episode in my other podcast, which is the Make America Grape Again podcast. Uh, for those who don't listen to that yet, uh, you should, but I'm biased, obviously. Elizabeth got this bottle from the vineyard itself when she was visiting Vermont, and this was a bottle that kind of exploded on the Twitterverse and, and the wine blogger scene. And so I'm very happy that she grabbed a bottle. It's an orange wine made from La Crescent, which is a uh, French-American hybrid. And it's just 
a beautiful rambly wild wine with a lot of fun character. For more information on uh, this wine in particular, including a re dramatic reading of the tech sheet, uh, you will have to listen to that particular episode of the podcast when it comes out, um, which will probably not be out by the time this is released. So you will have to wait patiently and it's just, oh darn, subscribe to another one of my podcasts, which if you're listening to this now, I'm assuming that that's not a problem for you. Uh, otherwise, why would you be listening? I'm confused. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. Uh, it's just a beautiful, fun wine that looks almost like fresh-squeezed apricot juice in the glass. And uh, the way I described it yesterday is uh, tasting like the platonic ideal of a mimosa uh, without the fizz. And it's still got that sort of rambly, wild, raw apricot character now, a day after the fact. Along with all those like wild herbs, hyssop, uh, rosemary, thyme, honey, it's like... Apricots that have been crushed with Ricola cough drops, mm. which doesn't sound terribly appetizing when I say it, but that's really the best way I can describe the nose of this wine. Yeah, that's a good way to describe the nose. It's the taste where so many other flavors kind of like overwhelm your taste buds. And it's, there's probably 30 different flavors on my taste buds right now. Yeah, and it's yeah. Try, trying to parse through them all is, is difficult. Uh, oh darn, it's just the worst thing ever. And I'll be uh, Captain Obvious in the moment. So my very first impression, similar to quality beers, the very first quality I noticed looking at this wine is that it's unfiltered. Mm -hmm. He practices this sort of wild style of fermentation, unflying, unfiltered, wild ferment, uh, the closest equivalent to an Arizona winemaker that these guys are, I would say, is James Callahan. Rune line. And I don't know if you guys have ever tasted Rune or not, but you should. Speaking of great cigar wines, uh, the Wild Syrah and his Petite Syrah are both, I think, really excellent cigar wines. That sounds like reason enough for a road trip. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and what, what Cody means by the, the wild fermentation is he uses the yeast that's on the grape. So he doesn't like put in any extra yeast to kind of you know jumpstart the fermentation. It's just whatever's on the grate. Very classic European technique, if I'm mm -hmm. not mistaken. Yep. Also a very classic European technique of Belgian beers. But this is a wine podcast. <laughs> we have to look around some other of the internet. Done beer review. Beer podcasts and wants cocktails. Where Jerry proceeded to get me completely nearly shit faced on gin based cocktails, which was really fun actually. And I will say, without having tasted this wine, just observed it and smelled it to see what's going on with it, since I've this is maybe the third unfiltered wine I've ever had, the standout aroma note that immediately grabs the nerves in my uh, nasopharynx is mango, very similar to mango lassi, a honey, almost a barley malt, and... Savory herbs. Fresh apricot. Or, mm. this is strange, because being an American and I'm not Islamic, no, uh, no slight intended there, it's very common in the Middle East for people in the Muslim and Islamic faith to drink fresh or slightly fermented non-alcoholic apricot juice during Ramadan. Mm -hmm. This reminds me of that. I could drink that for sure. Drinking fresh macerated apricot juice, this smells exactly like that. And this is without even tasting the wine. 
Definitely. Just wait until you taste it. Definitely, apricot is one of the biggest things that you keep getting over and over. I just smell that and be like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> wow. For me, for me and my palate, it's more mango than apricot on the taste. The aroma to me is more mango, and the taste is more mango. As strange as that sounds. On the with a honey finish. On the taste, I can see the mango. We should we should be particular about mango. So I grew up in South Florida. So when we even talk mangoes, we talk about specific types of, of mangoes, and there are certain ones that taste way different than most mango people would buy in a store. And so I can see that because this there is a mango, a Kent mango. Kent. Kent. And, um, a Kent or a Hayden. Yeah. Really juicy, soft. And they're very uh, sweet. Oh, they're, they're heavenly. And we we love them so much. My parents throw them. They ship them to us. Yeah. So I see when he said that, I was like, oh yes, I can. Very very floral <laughs> in the it. realm of um, jasmine and honeysuckle. Mm -hmm. And I can say without a doubt, after several tastes of this particular wine, on retrohale, there is a jasmine finish to me. It does kind of make me think a little bit of Malvasia in, in that way, that there is that jasmine character. Mm -hmm. uh, but unlike Malvasia, it has that mango apricot character, which uh, in Malvasia, it's more like um, heavy citrus and honeydew melon and elderflower as the main characters. Yes. So that's where the resemblance ends, other than them both being great grapes, clearly. Uh, for the production of orange wine. And what's strange with this wine is it's not sweet forward. As soon as the wine touches your mouth or your taste buds or your tongue, it's sweet on the finish. Yeah. In the after finish. But it's not like, it's not residual sugar. It's no. It's just the, the fruity character. Um, and that may be some of the unfiltered fines that are added to that. You know, these guys uh, are definitely winemakers to watch, and, and this is Iapetus Cellars. Uh, they do not ship to Arizona, um, so have a friend uh, in a nearby state, like, you know, New Mexico or California, ship it there and then sneak over the border and bring it back. Or visit. Or visit. It's an absolutely stunning vineyard. It's, not, it's got this beautiful green grass. Of course, it's Vermont, so it's road very trip. green. Yeah, it's Find a friend with a big truck or SUV and road trip. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say honestly that this wine made me think for a minute. Um, when I when I tasted it, it's like, should I go and be the Vermont wine monk? <laughs> Far more applicable than Arizona, sir. Even on the hill in, in Jerome. Yeah. Vermont would be, it's a natural fit. But uh, you may have competition. Yeah. But that being said, I, I'm hoping to make a visit to these guys someday. Road trip. Yeah, that, that would be a very fun road trip. Or or uh, fly to Vermont and carry an extra suitcase. A very heavy suitcase. Yeah, this is the kind of wine that would inspire you to buy one of those suitcases. If you, you've probably seen them, you know, where they've got like, you can put like 12 bottles of wine in the suitcase and they've got this fancy packaging all around yeah. wine. I so. want one of those for my birthday, for the record. <laughs> Apparently that's a new, uh, I don't Everyone follow trends, no matter social media, but that apparently that's a big trend with pro athletes now, with wine as they travel, with wine glasses and their wine bottles and accoutrement in their suitcase. And it's a custom cut suitcase for their wine so they can travel. Fun. 
I may have to cap one of those. You should. As a wine pro. <laughs> we are wine pros here. You could expense that. I guess we could. Ah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know when you get one. I may have to tag on. Borrow it. <laughs> Borrow it for a trip. See if you can do two for one. I'll, I, I, I'll pay I for remember one. when I went to Turkey, you know, two, three years ago. I remember wishing that I had one of those suitcases. Not that it would have helped me because I ended up bringing back 15 bottles. Oh. Um, and they're now, finally, all of my Turkish wine has been imbibed. Uh, they, they are all gone, ceased to be pining for the fjords. And I don't know when I will get more because most of those bottles you can only find in Turkey. Wow. Wow. Central Wine in Phoenix used to have some Turkish wine, but they closed. Oh. From what I've heard, um, so you know you might want to try Tarbells. That's a good point. I I should ask there, and then also I could ask um, Tracy at ODV. Yeah, you have to be careful who you ask at Tarbells, but there's a guy there who just seems to know everything there is to know about wine, and he, if anybody could find it in Phoenix, he could find that wine for you. Do you remember this gentleman's name? No, I should get. I've never actually asked his name. I just go in and he helps me and I leave, which is really yeah. bad. That's almost a podcast right there. Yeah, yes. we should invite him. We should actually. Actually, we should. I wonder if he listens. I don't I'm know. sure he'll let you know. <laughs> yes, it's true. If uh, you listen, uh, Tarbell gentleman who knows all things, uh, shoot me a line on Facebook. Let's talk. Um, if you don't listen, then I guess don't shoot me a line, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, this is fun. And this is another wild, cool wine. And in the same way that this Petit Sirac is a really wild, cool wine. Um, which actually makes me hope that the Southwest Wine Center with this vintage will experiment with making an orange wine. Ooh. I'm kind of surprised that they haven't yet. What would be a cool experiment for them to do, uh, and this would be, you know, Michael, if, if you're listening, uh, please do this. In Georgia, the, the country, not the state, obviously, they do amphora age orange wines. Mm. Mm. And the traditional uh, material is theory, and it's a, a style of wine that actually is one of the few styles of wines that is literally a UNESCO, declared UNESCO heritage thing. If I'm not mistaken, having been there. Former Soviet Georgia. Oh, you lucky They're son of a bitch. Still done in clay <laughs> yep. pots or urns. That's the one. They're called Kveri. And since for the last two years he has done amphora aged wines as kind of the special, there was the amphoria mm -hmm. rose, and then before that there was the uh, carbonic macerated cat that was amphora aged. What I would love to see would be an amphora aged orange Malvasia. Or if you ended up with Mar uh, Rousson, same thing, because I don't think that this is a style that would work with Viognier. I think there's way too much phenolics and that oily character and, and that oily full body character of Viognier, I think, would not work well with that style. Um, but I think Malvasia or Picapool hmm. would be perfect for that sort of amphora aged experiment. Um, with an orange wine. Um, so if you do, if you do that, if you do that, save me a bottle for sharing the idea. <laughs> wink, wink, notch, notch. <laughs> Michael Pierce is probably like, 
Kind of Excellent recommendation, Cody. <laughs> and, and Gloria was one of my favorites. That's another one. I love that rosé. Uh, that was amazing. It. I, I was lucky enough to grab two bottles of that. One for review and then one for writing. We can bring in, hey, we can plug your book. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> Let's plug uh, Elizabeth's book. Well, it's not just my book. Right, Elizabeth and Janelle's book. <laughs> I'm working with Janelle Bonifil. We're also working with Jeff Hendricks. To, and there's a couple other people that are writing in the book, including the one and only Cody Burkett. And um, it's a book oh, about- They can't see me waving. <laughs> it's a book about Arizona wine. The so, vineyards, wineries, and winemakers of the Grand Canyon State. Love it. Good Love to it. know. So, e expected release date, roughly? Well, we keep changing it. So let's happens, just say it will be released soon. That happens with publications. <laughs> yeah. Inside a year? Inside a year. Okay. That I feel confident in saying. So, summer, fall of 2019. Hopefully sooner than that, but we'll see. It's 2018 right now. Yep. A year. Oh, yeah. At worst case scenario, fall 2019. Okay. Bring it out at harvest just to confuse and infuriate all the people who want to read it who are stuck working. <laughs> <laughs> True. I, I actually have a friend of mine who was like, hey, can, can I get a copy and can you sign it? I'm like, why would you want me to sign it? I'm only a, a, a bit author. It hasn't, it hasn't gone to the printers yet. Yeah, so and followed by it, it hasn't even gone yeah, to the printers. Why? I, I don't know if you know Janelle Bonifield's work. She's a truly fantastic photographer. She is. Yeah, so the, the photographs will be beautiful. And, and the whole point of having copy around the photos is to give people the information of what's behind those pictures. So is this going to kind of be in the category of like a coffee table book? Well, I th we're, I, we're hoping it's not so expensive that it's only a coffee table book. We want it to be also a reference book. We want it to have lots of information about places where you can go and taste wines so that you know if you go to Wilcox, oh, here's all these wineries I can go visit. Or if you go to Sonoida or Verde Valley or any one of a number of other regions, there's Chino Valley, which isn't an AVA. Not yet. And, uh, but um, it's they haven't planted enough. enough. But they, they've asked me to, to approach, they've approached me for that sort of work, and I'm like, I, I don't know the first thing about. Oh, speaking of Wine Bible. And plugging books, so the monk himself happens to have a true Wine Bible here, but since we're plugging Elizabeth's book, so would this basically be an Arizona regional version of Karen McNeil's Wine Bible? Yeah, Is it safe I, to I say that? Wanna, I don't want to make it sound like I'm lifting her formula because I definitely right, didn't. Right. You know, we definitely have our own plan and our own formula. Um, but yeah, it's it's similar to what she did. So I mean, she's really about wine all over the world. World. Yeah. Right? Global wine. Speaking right? of, this you, would be a, a narrow specific Arizona. Very narrow specific Arizona region. Yeah. So don't get confused. <laughs> but speaking of, you took some bottles from some Arizona wineries to Karen McNeil, correct? I did. Yeah, I met Karen at the um, Unified Wine and Grape Symposium this past January, and she said, you know, I've never tasted wine. I've tasted wine from Arizona, but it was in 1999. Hmm. And I said, oh, we've got to change the world. <laughs> yeah. So I shipped her a couple of cases of wine from Arizona. Yeah. I think. From I several, think. many vineyards. I know one, one of them was uh, the Salvatore Sangiovese. Yes. Um, I want to say the uh, Passion 
17, 16? Maldacia was another. What else? Uh, well, there was wines from Carlson Creek, and there were wines from... There were quite a few vineyards, and I'm almost embarrassed to try and list them in, in this podcast because I'm probably going to forget somebody, and forgive me, whoever it is I forgot. But Carlson Creek was one, um, Callaghan Vineyards, uh, Rune Wines. So quite a few of the wineries that we talked about today had shipped wines with this, this package. So it was really just a great treat and a great opportunity. I wish I could have shipped more. But it was starting to get hot in Phoenix. Yeah. And as you all know, you don't want to be shipping wine after a no. certain date. Yeah. So in Arizona. I, and I found a cool window, and it was like the last cool temperature window. And I shipped those two cases then, just with what I had. So there were several other wires I would love to have concluded. And um, but there was only so many hours in a day before it got too hot. Yeah. <laughs> so So you guys bear with me. Going back to Karen McNeil. I'm going to, similar to how, I'm not going to say Cody threw Michael Pierce under the bus with his wine recommendations, but I'm going to throw Cody under the bus because Cody, Elizabeth, and Karen McNeil either need to do a podcast or an event in Arizona. That would be fun. It would be really wonderful. It's a tall order. It is a really tall order. If she's interested, we're in Arizona. We're in Arizona. Saddle up. Saddle up. Yeah. Well, I would be happy to send her an email, and we'll see what kind of response. Yeah, if she's ever out here, I would know. be thrilled. Um, it would be nice to not be one of the smartest four people on a podcast. <laughs> it might be, that might be a road trip to California. You guys could saddle up the wagon and horses and drag a case Actually, that, that could I think be, that's a better way to do it. And do we could it. rally up some of those vineyards that weren't in this first shipment. Not only that, we could also... Do a combined uh, Make America Great Again podcast with her and throw in a few other states. Mm -hmm. Maybe she could supply some favorites from her favorite obscure wine regions. You know, if she has connections that she likes in Texas or Colorado or Washington or Montana or what have you. I'm just throwing states out there for lack of. Well, we'll def I'll definitely send her an email. I don't always get responses from the emails I send her, just so you yeah. know. Understand what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for throwing me under the bus. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you know, you throw the mic under the bus, it's only fair play. Only for the betterment of the Southwest Wine Center, which... Yeah. In Arizona, you actually throw people under the stagecoach wagon. This is true. <laughs> we don't have buses here yet. But speaking of heat windows, um, it's dropped. Quite a bit. It's yeah, it's gone down. Uh, it's only 107 now. I know. Ooh. It's it's a it's a freaking Arctic. Risk and chilly. It's six percent humidity. And wow. Yeah, we still got problems with the humidity, but. Well, the good news is the patio is now almost completely engulfed in the shade. But what's odd today is there isn't a lot of wind. I'll go and I'll go. I'll go and test the outdoors, Cody. If you'll speak to, I'm going to make an unorthodox statement here as the wine layperson. Okay. Pairing this wine from Vermont, what would you pair it with? And I'm going to say I would pair it with anything. That's just me. Well, we had that idea at first yesterday, um, and so we had it with burgers from uh, Mama G's, and then realized that it didn't work well with them. Um, in the end, what paired well with those was the blueberry one from Maine that we had podcasted with also earlier that day. Um, I feel like this is a finger food wine. 
small doses, small hors d'oeuvres, um, things like maybe deep fried calamari. I was um, thinking something salty as I was drink, as I was sipping. I was yeah. thinking something on the salty side, you know, that you needed to go with that. Whether it was olives or you know something. Yeah, like, yeah. finger foods. So we are going to adjourn outside. Uh, there will be an intermission right here with some sort of cheesy music. Uh, and then we're going to go smoke some cigars. Talk about you know differences in cigars, the cigars that we'll be pairing with today, and how they'll go with the wine, and all that sort of stuff. Because while I like cigars, I don't know all that much about them yet. I'm still learning, and Sean here is being a wonderful, wonderful companion and friend, and uh, introducing me to the wide world of cigars. I'm going to pause the recording for now, and then we will rejourn outside.